This episode of Game Master's Journey is brought to you by my patrons, readers, and listeners. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, visit LexStarWalker.com slash support. Starwalker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Hello, fellow gamer. Welcome to episode 289 of Game Master's Journey. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. On this show, we discuss the craft and the art of game mastering. I've been running RPGs for over 30 years now, and I produce this show in the hopes that you can benefit from my experience, my triumphs, and my mistakes. Have another great episode in store for you today. We'll, we'll see how much of this I can get through today. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to share a couple things with you at the top of the show. And then I'm going to go into some discussion of a variety of game mastering topics. And a lot of the discussion today is going to come from questions that I received from listener Matt Yancic. I recently did an interview with Matt on his YouTube channel, Manufactured Myth and Ledger Domain. And I will have a link to that in the, the show notes. Uh, I should be able to embed the actual video in the show notes over at lexstarwalker.com slash GMJ. And yeah, we did a nice interview on, on Matt's YouTube channel where we talked about game mastering and role-playing games and writing and creativity in general and all kinds of stuff. So Matt had sent me a large number of, of questions that he kind of cherry-picked from during the interview. And as you know, if you've listened to this show very long at all, uh, I am someone who likes to be prepared. And that's true for everything, not just for game mastering. So I had uh, written out answers to all of these questions. And there were a lot of them that we just didn't have time to get to. And since, you know, I, I'm someone that always tries to get the most I can out of, you know, time I spend on things, uh, I thought it would be a shame since Matt took the time to come up with these excellent questions and I took the time to answer them. It would be a shame if no one ever heard that. So I thought what I would do is address the questions we didn't get to on my own podcast because Matt asked really fantastic questions. So I actually just put out an episode of my other show, Lex Out Loud, which uh, you could consider to be the second part of, of my interview with Matt. Uh, that was episode 56 of Lex Out Loud. And now this episode of Game Master's Journey will, will be the third part of that interview. So on both of these episodes, I, I did not address any of the questions that that Matt and I actually discussed on his video because I didn't want to duplicate that content. So I really hope that you'll go watch his video and, and watch our interview. And then, yeah, if you want to hear part two of that, you can check out episode 56 of Lex Out Loud, which I believe is titled Writing and Game Mastering or something similar to that, but it it's episode 56. So that that was the second part of this interview and those were questions where my answers were a little more focused on 
writing and creativity in general. And then today I'm going to address the questions that we're more focused on game mastering and RPGs. So uh, I don't think it matters if you listen to them in order uh, as far as that goes. So if if this is the first one you're listening to, I I think it'll be fine to just listen to this and then go check out the other ones later. But uh, yeah, if you want the the full experience, uh, check out all three parts of uh, me fielding questions from Matt and definitely go check out his YouTube channel. Um, he does interviews with, with all kinds of people in the RPG industry, game designers and other game masters and all kinds of interesting people. So definitely go check out his channel, check out our interview and, and check out the other stuff that Matt has done. And uh, yeah, I want to thank Matt so much for uh, having me on his show. And I also want to thank my wife, Nikki, who was kind enough to read uh, Matt's questions for me today so that it doesn't sound quite so much like I'm just talking to myself. But before we get into that, there are a couple other things I want to talk about at the top of the show. First of all, I I already mentioned my other podcast, Lex Out Loud. And uh, if if you're a new listener, you, you may not know, but I am a writer and a novelist. I've just finished writing a science fiction novel that I'm in the process of revising and preparing to uh, send it to agents, uh, try to find an agent, try to get it published. So part of that whole process is having people read the thing and, and give feedback, what's called beta readers. So I am still looking for some more beta readers for my novel, Critical Balance. So if you think you might be interested in being a beta reader, uh, check the show notes. I have a link to a post about it I made on my blog and uh, it explains what a beta reader is and and what it entails and and all that good stuff. I I also have a a form there uh, for you to fill out to tell me a bit about yourself. But in a nutshell, basically what a beta reader does is you just read an early draft of of a book and give feedback, what you like about it, what you don't like about it, um, if there are things that that confuse you, things like that, and then I can take that and improve the book uh, before I try to get it published. So you're not reading the the final version of the book. You're reading an early version, like a like a beta version, <laughs> which is why we call it beta readers. So yeah, you know, if if that sounds interesting to you and and you're someone that that does a lot of reading of novels, especially if if you read sci-fi, yeah, go check out the blog posts and fill out the form. And even if you don't read sci-fi, but but you're interested, um, check it out. It'd, it'd be fun to hear from uh, some people that don't read sci-fi all the time what, what they think of it as well. So it occurred to me I might have a little better luck uh, getting beta readers if I told people a little bit uh, what the book is about. Um, so this is not a synopsis of the book, and this is not a spoiler. Um, this is more like what you would read on the back cover of a paperback or the inside flap of a hardback. And uh, this is my first attempt at this. So uh, I can definitely improve this this little teaser here and, and shorten it and whatnot. But uh, for day, I, today, I think it'll be good enough to give you a, a general idea of, of what you'd be getting into uh, if you wanted to read this. 
Tia Moreno is a 22-year-old roboticist who has just moved to the newly constructed Union City, an eight-kilometer diameter cylinder capable of housing three-quarters of a million people, which lies at the top of the Earth space elevator. Tia is adjusting to her new home, a new job, and a new friend when she is pulled into the investigation of strange occurrences in the city. Ultimately, Tia must face an evil the likes of which the cylinders have never seen before, an evil that threatens the lives of everyone in Union City. She must find the hero within herself if she's to save herself, her friends, and her community. So yeah, that's uh, basically what the book's about. So uh, if that sounds interesting to you, uh, head on over to the show notes at LexStarWalker.com slash GMJ, and uh, I'll have a link there to that blog post where you can uh, apply to be a beta reader. I hope uh, I hear from some of you. So the other thing I wanted to tell you about at the top of the show today is uh, for any of you out there who were fans of D20 Modern back in the day, or think you might be now, it is being updated or revised to 5th edition to the, you know, the 5th edition D20 system that, that D&D uses. And uh, the core book for that is going to be called Everyday Heroes. It's produced by Evil Genius Productions, which is a Black-owned game publisher. And yeah, they're going to update D20 Modern for 5th edition. Uh, the, the line is going to include a core book as well as numerous uh, expansions going into all, all kinds of uh, modern day related RPG goodness that you might be interested in. Some of the people involved with this project, uh, you might recognize some of these names, Jeff Grubb, Stan Brown, and Steve Miller. Uh, these guys have worked on things like The Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, Ravenloft, the Marvel superheroes role-playing game, which, which I've played back in the day, and the Star Wars role-playing game by West End Games, which I also played back in the day. In fact, that was one of the first games I ran. I think the first game I ran was D&D 2nd Edition, and I think uh, Star Wars, the West End game Star Wars was either the second or the third. Um, I'm not sure if I ran that one first or Vampire the Masquerade first, but um, those were definitely the first three games I, I ever ran. Um, had a lot of fun with that game. So yeah, Everyday Heroes is currently in development and they're going to have a, a Kickstarter for it sometime this year. I'm not sure exactly when their their website says spring, but I think spring's almost over if it's not over. But sometime this year, you know how things are these days. Things are always getting delayed. But uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna kickstart it, and then um, it looks like the books are gonna start coming out in 2023. I, I think the first one, the core book, I can't remember the exact month, but it's early, like the first quarter 2023. So uh, yeah, that's really cool for any of you who like the the fifth edition D and D system. Um, but you want to play, you know, a game set in, in the modern time, check out Everyday Heroes. And, and also uh, you can support a Black-owned game publisher, um, which would be an awesome thing to do. So uh, I will have a link in the show notes to their website where, where you can find more information. And uh, yeah, go check that out. All right. So as I said today, I am going to 
answer some questions uh, that came from our listener, GM Matt Yancic. And uh, these are read for us by my wife, Nikki. Thanks again, Nikki, for reading. And uh, thanks again, Matt, for submitting these excellent questions. When you're playing just for yourself, not streaming or podcasting, what draws you to a particular game and how do you choose who to play with? So as far as what draws me to a particular game, I'd say there are two or three main things that will either draw me to a game or make me decide I don't want to play a game. And the first of those things is the system. I mean, the system's pretty important. And uh, I'm always on the lookout for a good system. I, I kind of nerd out on game systems, as I'm, I'm sure those of you who've listened to very many of these ep- episodes of this show know. And I'm always looking for a good system for a better system than what I'm used to or what I've done before. Probably right now, I would say my favorite RPG system that I've run uh, would be the Old World of Darkness system by by White Wolf Games. It kind of checked almost all of the boxes for me. It was easy to learn, easy to teach, easy to use, uh, very flexible, very easy to you know decide uh, what you would roll for a given thing, you know, as opposed to like, for instance, the the Star Trek system, which I also enjoyed. Um, but the Star Trek game, it, it can also often be, you're not quite sure what to use for a given role and you could, you know, debate whether it's this or that. Um, but the White Wolf system, it was always pretty straightforward, you know, what you would roll for any given thing that a, that a player wanted to do. So it was really flexible, and easy, but it also allowed you to get pretty detailed as far as the mechanics when you wanted to without the the system getting cumbersome and without, you know, slowing gameplay too much. There wasn't really any math involved with it, unlike, say, for instance, D&D, which I, which I really liked. And uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an easy system to learn. It's easy to run. I just, uh, and, and if there's time, I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I, I just... Uh, got involved with a mage campaign uh, run by one of uh, the, the players in, in the group uh, that, that I run. And, uh, you know, I haven't run or played a White Wolf game in probably decades. And, uh, you know, this is really the first time I've even really thought about it much since, I don't know, probably at least 13, 14 years ago now. But it's amazing that it's all still there. Like once I started, you know, making a character, like all the mechanics came back and, and this system is simple enough and logical enough that it's all still there. I still remember it. It's not like, you know, I haven't run fifth edition D and D for, I don't know. It probably hasn't even been a year. Maybe it's been a year, but it hasn't been that long since I ran it. But I'm sure that if I went to run it again, there'd be all kinds of things I'd have to look up that I didn't remember. It's like, how, how does stealth work with initiative again? Or, you know, how does the opportunity attack work again? Um, I recently started running Numenera again a while ago after not having played that game for a few months or a year or so. And it was the same thing. There's all kinds of stuff I didn't remember how it worked and the fiddly bits and whatnot. But uh, yeah, you know, I haven't run or played a white wolf game in, in over a decade. And I feel like I could sit down and run vampire right now without any books and I'd be fine. I wouldn't need to look anything up. 
So uh, yeah, I, I really love that system. So yeah, the system is is an important part of, you know, do I like a game or not? Do I want to play it or not? Do I want to run it or not? Especially. Another important thing for me is the setting. You know, this is really what hooks me into a game. Um, it's usually the first thing that really grabs me is the setting. I, I love a good setting. You know, these days I prefer a sci- science fiction setting. Although I, I can get into to sci- sci-fi fantasy if uh, it leans more into the sci-fi side of things and the fantasy side of things. But yeah, I, I love a good setting. And that's usually what first grabs me and makes me excited about a game. And, and then, it's, then I look at, okay, what's the system like? You know, is this something I would actually want to run? And then the third thing is, is just the approach of the game. You know, this is kind of a harder thing to pin down. But every game has its own approach, its own philosophy, you know, its own idea of what an RPG should look like and what a game session should be like. And again, I really liked the approach of the old World of Darkness games. They approached the game more as dramatic storytelling as opposed to like the war game approach of D&D. Even to this day, I still think of my adventures in terms of scenes instead of encounters. The games Vampire the Masquerade and Changeling to Dreaming probably had the biggest influences on me as far as molding me into the GM that I am today more than any other game I've played. Honestly, probably more than every other game I've played put together. You know, if you really wanted to understand me as a GM and my philosophy and all that, you could probably read the game mastering section of either Vampire or Changeling 2nd Edition and uh, have a pretty good bead on on how I think about games and how I approach games and, and things like that. Because uh, I, I don't know if it so much shaped me or if it was just a philosophy I agreed with and made sense to me, but it's definitely the, uh, the philosophy and the approach that, that I've adopted. Right down to, you know, my quote, session zero, which really, you know, I have a, a prelude. You know, so my last uh, D&D campaign, the Primordia campaign, I did preludes with each of the characters where in each of the players where I got together with each player individually before we even started a campaign and went through their backstory and their character and did some role playing with them, kind of setting up their character and their place in the world and, and the story that was about to happen. And that comes from White Wolf. That comes from Vampire and Changeling. That's where that that whole idea comes from. And uh, even the interludes I did, or the, <laughs> that's what Matt calls them, uh, I called them uh, vignettes. The vignettes that I did in that campaign were, were just kind of an iteration of the whole prelude idea. Um, so yeah, that all came from, from these old World of Darkness games. Those games in the uh, chapters where they were you know discussing game mastering and how to run the game, they really focused on the story, having a good story, having drama, having conflict, things that I still don't think D&D has really caught on to, at least not, not to that degree. I love how the char- your characters in those games come out of the gate with dramatic things to role play. You know, one of the hardest things, you know, for instance, with D&D or a lot of other games, when you start out with a new character is you don't really know who this character is. There, there's no real history to the character. I mean, you might have come up with a backstory, 
but it's just kind of academic. Like you don't really have a relationship or an experience with that history. And so a lot of times the first few sessions, you're kind of trying to figure out who your character is and how you want to play them and all that stuff. And you don't have that problem with these games. You know, for instance, Vampire, uh, your character struggles to maintain your humanity or not while fighting these bestial urges that you have and trying not to become a total monster. So there are mechanics in the game, uh, the humanity uh, mechanic and the virtues where, you know, the more that you give into your darker side and and those urges and, and do things that a vampire would do and a human wouldn't, the more you risk losing that human part of yourself. And, and it's codified in the system of the game. And there, you know, you can go so far down that road that you actually lose your character because you become just a crazy beast going around spreading mayhem and killing people. Um, at which point you don't get to play your character anymore. So on session one with a vampire character, you already have things to role play because you can role play this internal struggle that that all your characters have. It also does a lot more politically and and setting up, you know, alliances and um, <laughs> what's the word? Um, competitions between, you know, even the different player characters or between your characters and, and other vampires in the world and all that stuff. It, it does a lot, a lot more of that than, you know, a game like, like D&D does. So, you know, even on the first session, you, you have a much better grasp of who your character is also because you played through a prelude. So you've already role played that character a bit and you actually role played through some of the stuff in your backstory instead of it just being, you know, on a piece of paper so you have a better grasp of your character in that way. And uh, you also have this inner struggle that, that you can role play. In Changeling, you have the same, same kind of thing. All, all their games have this. They're just different with the different types of supernaturals you can play. So with Changeling, the struggle was between your, your inner creativity and your fairy magic in a world that's trying to smother that with its banality and its... Um, uh, disbelief in those kinds of things. So you're trying to like keep your inner fairy self alive and vibrant and keep your, your magic strong all while at the same time staying grounded enough in reality to not go crazy. Because if you go too far down the, you know, glamour and magic of being a fairy and you ignore the real world too much, you can lose your grip on reality because your, your character is part human um, so you do have a human psychology. You can't just be completely fairy or, or you'll go crazy. So it's the same kind of thing where your, your character is struggling to maintain this balance between these two opposing sides of their nature. Very similar to vampire, just a different spin on it. But in the same way, you know, you have all this stuff you can role play from the very beginning. As far as how you choose or how I choose who I play with, um, you know, these days it's mostly a thing of just people I've played with before that I know are good players that, that I can rely on and, and have a good time with. But, you know, if I'm, if I need to find someone new, I, I look for people that I can get along with, people that are fun to be with and be around. Things I really value in players are, are people who are going to get into it and, and be wholly present during the game. I love players who will actually think about the game and think about their characters outside of the game. 
um, who want to do more than just show up and, and play the game every week, but who actually have things they want to accomplish with their characters that maybe, you know, are their own thing that don't involve the other group. You know, I like doing, you know, solo vignettes with players. Um, I love getting, you know, emails from players through the week about, oh, hey, could I do this with my character? Or what does my character know about that? You know, people who are engaged, not just during the actual game session, but but other times as well. You know, that's really great. Uh, and and of course, it's it's very important to have players who you can depend on, who who will show up and and be there and be on time or if they're not going to be there, let you know, um, things like that, you know, just basic courtesy and respect kind of stuff. So that's what I look for. And, you know, if I'm in a position where I need to find a new player and I may be recruiting some people I don't know at all, or I've never dealt with at all. Um, you know, one thing I like to do is to give them some ho- hoops <laughs> to jump through, uh, give them a, sel- a chance to prove themselves, uh, so in the past I've done stuff like, um, have questions for them, like things like, I don't know what, what are some of your favorite role-playing games? What do you like about them? Questions about what kind of character they want to play, things like that. And, you, you know, it's partly to get an idea of, okay, what kind of person am I dealing with here? What kind of character are they going to want to play? What kind of, you know, story, you know, if, if I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, you know, what kind of story could I build around these characters? Or if I do know what I want to do, do they want to play a character that's going to fit what I want to do? So I can get all that, that kind of information, which helps me in the preparation of the campaign. But it's also, are they going to respond to emails? Are they going to do things that I ask them to do? You know, are they willing to go the extra mile or are they just want to show up on game day, play and then forget about it for a week? So yeah, you know, if if they don't respond to the email or they don't answer the questions or they kind of phone in the answers to the questions, then then those are are red flags. And you know, if I if I'm in a position where I have more players wanting to play than I need, then then that will help me decide, you know, who I want in the group and who I don't so much want in the group. So so yeah, that's how I approach it when I need to do that, but yeah, these days um I'm mostly just approaching players that, that I've played with before that, that I know, you know, we get along well and we, we have fun together. Um, because, you know, part of it, it, it's not just, you know, is this person reliable and can you depend on them to be there and things like that? But it's also just, you know, there are a lot of different approaches you can take to these games and different people enjoy different things and, and want different things from the game and from the GM and, and just have different styles of playing and and not all of those different styles play well together, you know, and, and I've done this long enough. I, I know what my style is and I know what I like and what I don't like. So yeah, it's also, you know, finding players that, that fit that, that you're not going to be constantly butting heads with them, or they're not going to be constantly butting heads with the other players because they want a very different kind of experience than, than what everybody else wants. So, you know, over the many years I've, I've been running games, especially online, I've cultivated a list of players that, that I know, you know, they like the kind of games I run and, and I like the way they play and, and they all get along with each other because they're all kind of on the same page. And yeah, it, it makes everything uh, run nice and smoothly. So, you know, usually if I am looking for a new player, 
you know, maybe I have a group of four or five players and and one of them is a new player. So I'm really looking for someone who's going to fit in well with with the other players that that I already have. Is it fair to say you're more of a GM or DM than a player? Why is that? What is it that appeals to you about running games as opposed to playing? Yeah, I'm definitely much more of a GM. I would guess that if you could add up all the time that I've spent playing RPGs, that probably less than 10% of that time was as a player and, and well over 90% of it, um, I was in the role of, of a GM. In high school and college, a lot of that was because I was just willing to be the GM and my friends weren't or would rather not. So I almost always ran the games. I remember in high school wishing I could play more, but by college, I was pretty happy being the GM and, and actually preferred it, and, and I still do now. In the uh, earlier years of, of my time as a GM and a player, the appeal of game mastering was that I could, quote, do it right. Uh, in those early days when I was able to play, it was sometimes under GMs who weren't that great at GMing. GMs who really didn't give you the freedom to do what you wanted, who would railroad you into doing what they wanted to, you to do. And for me, that's, that's not much fun. I also played under some GMs who just weren't prepared and did kind of a half-assed job at it, um, especially in high school. Um, and that wasn't much fun either. So, you know, when I GM, I do my best to bring my A game and I always have a good time with it and, and I can count on that. You know, when I run the game, unless I have a super disruptive player, which has only happened a few times in, in my life, other than that, when I run a game, I know that I'm going to have a good time, full stop. Unfortunately, you know, if, if I'm a player, then, then that's not always the case. I don't always know that, especially if I'm playing under a GM I've never played under before. I mean, obviously, if I'm playing under a GM I've played under before, then, then I know what they're like and, and I'm playing under them because I enjoyed playing under them before. In recent years, I've played under some some great GMs, some really great GMs. And I honestly, I think a lot of that has to do with maturity. You know, the people I play with now are older than the people I was playing with when I was in high school and college. And just, you know, as people mature, um, they, you know, they get better at dealing with other people and they get better at being GMs. Probably because they have more experience and, and just they're older, more mature people. But, you know, all that said, I still prefer GMing. I, I really like the creativity of it. Also, one thing I really like about it is that I can, quote, play whenever I want by, you know, working on the, the world or working on NPCs or planning the next game session where, you know, when I'm a player, yeah, I can do some stuff with my character between game sessions and stuff. But, you know, other than that, I can really only play during the actual game sessions. Because, you know, as a player, there's only so much you can do uh, with your character when you're not actually at the table with everyone else because, you know, you're going to need GM approval for stuff or you're going to need the GM to know what you're wanting to do. And, uh, you know, you're probably going to want to interact with, with the other player characters too. You're not doing things like planning an adventure or building NPCs or, or uh, building the setting, things like that. Unless you have a GM that... Uh, has you do stuff like that, which, which some GMs do that, and that can be a lot of fun. As a GM, what makes a game session enjoyable for you? How about as a player? 
So in general, as a GM, if the players have fun, I have fun. I mean, it's usually that simple. My favorite moments as a GM are cool reveals that blow the players' minds. That's that's what I live for as a GM. That's those are the moments that like make all the the prep and and time you put into it really worth it. For example, in my last D&D campaign, the the Primordia campaign, which uh um you can find in earlier episodes of this podcast, the players brought back this magic tree. Oh, by the way, spoilers here for for that campaign if if you haven't watched it or listened to it. Um some spoilers here. But uh the players brought back this magic tree from the fairy plane to protect uh, this village from, from some hags. And when they planted the tree, it brought that part of the world into the fairy plane. It made it coterminous with it where, you know, that village in the area around it was in the prime material plane, but it was also in, in the fairy plane. Um, What they call the Feywild in fifth edition. I don't really like that term. So I had foreshadowed that this would happen, I think, pretty well, because, you know, the the rule with foreshadowing when it's done right is you don't see the thing coming, but then when it happens, you're like, oh yeah, I should have known that was coming. It, it seems like it was inevitable. Um, so, so when you pull foreshadowing, foreshadowing off right, that's, that's how it works. Um, and that's, that's how this went. You know, the players really didn't suspect that this was the thing that was going to happen before it did. But then when it did happen, they were like, oh yeah, of course that happened. We should have realized that would happen. And uh, I, I still remember the moment uh, when I revealed this in the game and, and the looks on their faces as one by one, it dawned on them what was happening. And, and it was fantastic and, and awesome and yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, it's one of those moments that, you know, you may spend a lot of time building up to it. I, I don't know how many months we played uh, before we got to that point, but, you know, it was quite a few game sessions uh, of building up to that moment, which just makes the payoff that, that much better. So that's what I like as a GM. You know, if the players are having a good time, I'm having a good time. Um, you know, some game sessions like you're you're playing like vampire or something it can be really ten intense and tense um you know everybody's really serious everybody's really deep in character and everybody's having a great time in that way and that's a lot of fun and then you know they're they're your beer and pretzels D D games where everybody's just being silly and wacky and cracking jokes and um, having fun in that way. And, and those are very, very different experiences. Um, but they're, but they're both a lot of fun. And, and the common element there is that the players are having a really good time. And when they're having fun, I'm having fun. But yeah, beyond that, uh, you know, if I can do a cool reveal like that, um, that's awesome too. Now, as a player, um, as long as I'm playing with fun people and a GM who's willing to kind of roll with it and let us do what we want and doesn't just, you know, strong arm us and railroad us through the whole thing, uh, then then I usually have a good time. Um, I, I know in the past, you know, ever since I started doing GM intrusions, whenever, well, not every time, but a lot of times when I play in a game under a GM and and they know about these podcasts I do, you know, there have been many times that, you know, they've said things like they're nervous running for me or whatever. 
I, I think the fear is that I'm going to be a rules lawyer, you know, because I know the rules better than them or, or they just think I'm a better GM than them or, or whatever. Um, so I, quite a few times I've heard from GMs, sometimes joking, sometimes not that, you know, oh, I'm a little nervous running for you because, um, you know, you do this podcast and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, you know, they don't need to worry about that because that kind of stuff isn't what makes it or breaks it for me as a player. Like, I don't really care if the GM doesn't know the rules as well as I do. I don't even care if the GM isn't open to um, being, quote, corrected on the rules or, or open to players being like, well, hey, actually, you know, this is what it says in the book. You know, some I've played under GMs who actually, you know, they want to learn the rules better. So if a player knows the rule that they're kind of winging it, you know, or, or maybe they're remembering it wrong or whatever. They're very open to a player being like, well, Hey, here's what it says in the book. And then the GM decides what they want to do. And, and that's awesome. But I've also played under GMs who they feel like they know the rules well enough to do what they want to do. And they're not really interested <laughs> in learning the rules more. They don't, you know, different GMs, have different styles just like different players do and different GMs have different aspects of being a GM that they enjoy and don't enjoy so much and some GMs just really don't care about the rules and you know that's part of their style and and those GMs really don't want to hear about what the book has to say about how something works and you know I've had lots of fun under under both types of GMs you know and at the end of the day the only thing about the rules I care about is that the game is fair um, you know, and, and that is the one, I guess, risk or the one danger with a GM that doesn't know the rules very well is sometimes, um, when you don't know the rules, you can inadvertently be unfair, you know, like, like the example, I think maybe we talked about this on, on Matt's channel, but, um, for instance, in D and D, you know, they try to balance, like, for instance, the fighter and the wizard, right? So, you know, the wizard has a lot going for them at the later stages of the game where they can do all these things that a fighter never could. A fighter has a lot more going for them in the early to mid game where, you know, they can uh, do a lot better in combat than a wizard can. And they're a lot more um, survivable <laughs> than a wizard is. And, and, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that, uh, that the wizard and the fighter is balanced. I mean, they're clearly not, but, the, but there is some attempt within the system of the game to, to balance that as much as they can. And so if you have a GM who doesn't understand that and doesn't understand the rules and they're house ruling things left and right, you know, they could end up, you know, making the wizard even more powerful compared to the fighter and not realizing it, they're, they're actually making things very unfair for the poor player playing the fighter. So that's just one example. Um, but, but really, that's the only thing that as a player has ever bothered me as far as a GM who d maybe doesn't know the rules that well, is if it leads to unfairness like that. And, you know, in the past when that's happened, I've just, you know, brought it up and been like, hey, you know, this is the way it is in the book. And, and, you know, this is kind of a balancing thing. So what you're doing here is, you know, kind of making it better for this character, but making it worse for that character. And, you know, maybe that's unintended on your part. Are you, are you sure, you know, this is the best way to do it? And it's never, you know, it's never been an issue. You know, usually the GM is, is just not aware of that. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, let's, let's address that. Um, cause they want, they want it to be fair and they want people to have fun. They, they're not doing it to be unfair. They're just, 
you know, see something that they think is cool and they're like, oh, it'd be cool if we did this. So, you know, it's, it's never, uh, I don't know. I don't think that's ever really, really been a problem. And the, the only time I can ever remember being anything close to like upset about something like that was just when I had an ability or my character had an ability that I was counting on working a certain way because that's the way the book said it worked and the GM effectively nerfed it. And I didn't know that they were doing this beforehand. And so now, you know, I have this thing I thought my character could do and they can't actually do it or they can't do it the way I thought they could. But even then, I mean, we were able to resolve that. I, I think I've run into that maybe twice in, in my life. And, and I think the one time the GM just, um, when I brought it up, they were like, oh, I didn't realize that. And they just ran it the way the book said. And I think the other time the GM really wanted it to do it their way. And they just let me like choose a different spell or ability or whatever it was. Cause I was like, well, you know, that's cool that you want to do it this way, but that's not what I thought I was getting when I got this, this ability. Is it cool if I swap it out for something else? And, and they were cool with that. Cause I mean, this, this kind of thing usually happens in like the first session or two that, that you run into this kind of stuff. And then after that, like, you know how things are. Um, so yeah, it's, it's never been a problem. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't think other people need to be worried about, uh, GMing for me or, or other people like me who, you know, maybe spend a lot of time thinking about these games or whatever, or podcasting about them or YouTubing about them, you know, as long as we're reasonable people, um, you know, I think, I think, I hope most of us realize that, uh, you know, uh, you know, like rule zero in D and D white wolf has the same kind of thing. I forget what they call it, but where, you know, the GM is the finer final decider on how the game works and they can disregard any rules they want. They can make up any new rules they want or they can change any rules they want. And that's, that's their prerogative. And, you know, most GMs do that to some degree or another. It's just part of the, part of the hobby. And I, I think most of us understand that. What are some of the qualities that make a great game master? What makes a good player? All right. So qualities I think make a great game master are uh, being creative, being organized, um, being good at managing people, specifically the players at the table, you know, being able to handle any conflicts that arise in a, in a fair manner, you know, just being able to manage people, being even tempered, you know, not, not someone who gets really upset about nothing good at mediating disputes, which I guess goes under the managing people and a good storyteller. So, so those are some things I, I thought up that, uh, I think make a good GM. I'm sure there are other things that I'm not thinking of as far as a good player. I, I think a good player is a good listener. I like a player who tries to help everyone at the table, have a good time. I like a player who helps out the GM at the table as they can. And as um, as is appropriate, I guess I will say, um, you know, sometimes you have a player who's trying to help you as a GM and you don't need or want their help. Um, and sometimes that can be, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's annoying, but, but it can kind of be, be something you have to deal with. Um, you know, for instance, a, a player that, that wants to quote rules from the book all the time when you, when you know the rules and you don't need that, um, <laughs> But uh, in general, I, I think a player who is willing to help out the GM in little ways like, um, you know, tracking the initiative order for the GM or, 
you know, helping other players that, that maybe have a question about their character sheet or something like that, you know, just little things that they can do to, to take some of the load off the GM's shoulders, you know, as long as they're doing things that the GM is cool with them doing, and they're not trying to take over for the GM. Um, I think that's a good thing. Players that aren't attention hogs that are mindful of giving the other players chances to talk and do what they want to do. And players that show up on time. I know I, I've probably said that a few times already this episode, but but that's really important. You know, I, I usually don't deal very long with players who just don't show up with no warning or who are consistently late, you know, just because then, then we're all waiting on them. And life happens. People are occasionally late. You know, that's fine. And, you know, I'm not talking about being a few minutes late. I'm talking about showing up like a half hour or an hour late with no warning, things like that. So yeah, I prefer players that don't do those things that are that are dependable. But, you know, again, some of these things come from more of my early days, you know, when I was dealing with fellow high schoolers or college college students who were ditching the game to go to a party and get drunk or something like that. And and now that I'm an adult, like that's usually when a player misses a game, it's because they had to work late or they're traveling or something and it's something, you know, we all knew about ahead of time. You know, I can't remember the last time I had a player just not show up and it wasn't like a totally legitimate reason. Like I, it's been decades. It's probably been since I was in college because I, I really don't remember anything at all recently like that ever happening. So, I mean, I think most players out there are good players. And most players, in, in my experience, most players, if you do have any kind of an issue with them, Nine times out of 10, that is resolved with just a simple conversation with the player. And it's just something they're not aware of or they didn't think about or they just, you know, a lot of times those things happen with players who who don't GM and they just don't understand what it's like to GM and they don't understand that they're making your life harder. But yeah, it's been very rare in, in my over 30 years of GMing, there have been maybe a handful of times where I've had a player that was just... that couldn't be reasoned with and and just had to, you know, part ways with them far more often if there was any kind of an issue, uh, just a simple talk with the player and and that was the end of it. And it wasn't a big deal and nobody got upset. Nobody's feelings got hurt. It just, you know, it's just a miscommunication or something. So yeah, I think most players are are good players. Do you have a philosophy for managing the table? How do you bring out the best in your players and the story? Um, so really, I think that the core of my philosophy as a GM can be summed up in two words, and that is be fair. That's the most important thing, I think, as a GM. That's more important than knowing the, the rules or the system. I think it's even more important than how great your story is, because you can always run modules if you can't come up with a great story. But the ability to be fair and to be aware of how fair you're being and to understand, I guess, the game well enough to be fair... Uh, is really important. Also, you know, another core of my my philosophy as a GM is letting the players do what they want as much as possible. Like I try very hard to not just flat out say no to a player, to not say the dreaded words, no, you can't do that. However, I try to let the players do whatever they want as much as I possibly can. However, I also, the other side of that, and it's very important, these are equally important, is make sure that there are always consequences for the choices the players make, for the things their characters say, 
for the things that their characters do. Don't coddle them. Don't make whatever the players choose be the right answer. And I know there are GMs out there that that's their philosophy where they just roll with whatever the players want to do. And and if they present a situation, whatever solution the players comes up with, just somehow it works, you know, or to really, to really put this in perspective, let's say a GM like this is running a murder mystery and the player's job is to figure out who murdered someone. It's like, well, whoever the players finally decide is the person who murdered the person, that's who did it. Even if it wasn't who did it originally when the GM came up with the adventure. And uh, I, I really don't agree with that philosophy. I don't run games that way. And I don't enjoy playing in games that are run that way. As soon as I realize that's what's happening, like I, any um, investment I have in the game is just gone. It's just gone. As soon as I realize that, oh, it doesn't even matter what we do. Whatever we do is going to be the right answer. It's like, why Why are we playing? Why am I doing this instead of something else? Um, if if it doesn't matter, if, if everything's going to work out no matter what I do, that's not a game at all. I don't know what that is, but it's not a game. I, I think those things are equally important that, that a good GM lets the players do whatever they do, but then also lets the players enjoy the consequences of what they just did, whether those consequences are good or bad, either way. So, you know, for instance, you know, with the murder mystery, I, as a GM, I know who killed the guy, right? It's not just whoever the players decide killed the guy there. No, there is a right answer to this problem. And if the players choose the wrong answer, if they accuse the wrong person, then there's going to be consequences to that, right? Um, and that's, that's a good game. That's a good story. And, you know, I'll tell you, you know, in my, my many years of GMing, um, some of the best moments at the table, some of the moments that the players enjoyed the most in my games have been times when they did something dumb or they made the wrong choice and it came back to bite them. And, you know, it's, it seems counterintuitive, but players actually love that. Um, because, it shows them that they actually have agency. You know, in a game where whatever you do is the right answer, you have you really have no agency. The, the GM is just going to shift everything to fit whatever you decide to do, which is, you know, that's not really agency. I mean, I guess you have agency in, in the sense that you can do whatever you want, but there are no stakes. You know, you're, you're winning a game that's rigged and, and that's no fun. Definitely not as fun as is winning a game that's actually a challenge that you had a, a very real chance of losing. So I've found that, yeah, some of the best moments are when the the players do something, they make a bad decision or they they piss off the wrong NPC or they kill the wrong NPC or something. And there is backlash from that. There are negative consequences from that. And they love it. And, and the best is when it's uh it's a delayed thing you know the consequences don't happen that session or even the next session it's further down the road and then all of a sudden something bad happens and it's like oh yeah well this is happening because of that thing you did set these events into motion and now you know you're suffering the consequences of that thing that you did and yeah the players love that because it makes the the world seem real it, it makes it seem like what they do has an impact on the world because because it does 
So I think, you know, whatever the players choose to do, whether it's the quote right answer or the quote wrong answer, whether it was a smart thing to do or a stupid thing to do, there should be consequences. And those consequences should be logical and make sense and be directly based on on what they did and what the, the consequences of that are. And those consequences, you know, that's where the drama and the fun of the game really comes from. What do you bring to the table as a GM that is unique? different, and special. Setting modesty aside, why do you think your players return to you as a GM? I think a big thing here is is I'm always prepared, or almost always. I try to be always prepared. So I think, you know, after they play with me a while, my, my players know that, and they know that, you know, when, when they come on game day, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be ready to run the game. Um, I'm also willing to wing it when they go off the map or when they go off the quote script, so to speak, you know, I, I, I've talked a lot on this show about how I cannot predict what players do. And almost every time I try, I'm wrong. Um, but I still do. I mean, I think we all do it as GMs when we're, when we're coming up with a scenario for the evening, we, we try to guess, you know, how are the players going to react to this? What are they going to do? And then if they do that, what am I going to do? So I do that too. But more often than not, they end up doing something totally different that I didn't anticipate. And when they do that, I'm I'm willing to go with them on it. You know, I don't try to stop them from doing that because I'm not prepared for that. I'm, you know, I prepare as much as I can, but when it comes down to it, I, I'll improvise if I have to. Um, you know, and I'd I'd guess that any given game sec- session, about half of it. I'm doing stuff I prepared and about half of it, I'm making it up on the spot because, you know, you can't prepare for everything the players might do. If I do my job right, the players can't tell the difference. They can't tell when I'm doing something, you know, that I prepared for or, or they've done something that I anticipated and I know what to do. And they can't tell when I'm making it up on the spot or improvising. And yeah, you know, you should, I think as a GM endeavor, to kind of have your poker face so they don't know um, because it does kind of break the immersion when they know that you're making stuff up on the spot. But, you know, at the end of the day, the players really don't care, I don't think. And they're not out there trying to figure out what you're making up and what you're not. You know, they just want to have enough verisimilitude. They just want to be able to believe in what's happening enough that they can immerse themselves in the game and not be worried about, oh, did Lex know we were going to do that? Was he ready for this or is he improvising? Like, at the end of the day, who cares? It doesn't matter as long as uh, it all makes sense and the players can't really tell the difference. I mean, my ideal as a GM, like what I try to give to the players is the sense that they can go anywhere, they can do anything, they can talk to anyone they can do whatever they want to do and and I can handle it and I'm ready for them. And and there's not it's not like in a video game where there's an invisible wall that you run up into and and you can't go past that. You know, if they just suddenly on a whim decide to travel across the continent, like, okay, that's what we're doing now. You know, I wasn't prepared for that, but but that's what we're doing now. And yeah, you know, if I have to, I'll I'll call a break. I'll say, hey, give me, give me 10 minutes or um, if we're near the end of the session, I'll be like, okay, cool. That's awesome. You guys do that. And now let's break for tonight because, you know, I need to prepare. Or if it's early in the session, I just wing it, you know. But, uh, you know, my hope as a GM is that the players have that sense of, you know, they don't have to try to guess what I want them to do and do that. They can just do whatever they want. And, and I'm ready for them. 
How has your playing or GM slash DMing style changed and evolved over time? Why? Well, I think as a GM that my abilities have grown over time. I, I think I've gotten better at GMing and, and it's become more natural and easy for me to where you know I can just kind of do it and I need less prep than I used to to do it. But I don't think overall that my style of GMing has changed that much. You know, I'm sure it changed quite a bit over the first few years that I did it as I kind of figured it out. But, uh, you know, once I, I'd kind of figured it out and, and gotten a handle on GMing after the first, I don't know, two, three years of doing it, I think, uh, I think my style has been pretty consistent through the years. If I had to guess, I, I'd say that probably over time, I've gotten more willing to improvise and less reliant on, you know, plans for the session or what I think is going to happen. I, I know in the early years, I did a lot more of almost scripting an adventure where, oh, the players will do this and then I'll do that. And, you know, as time goes on, I do less and less than that because again, I'm I'm usually wrong when I try to guess what the players will do. So I've just learned that that's kind of uh, oftentimes a waste of time to even try to do that. But but yeah, other than that, I, I think my style has been pretty consistent. All right. So that is the last of the questions for Matt Yancic. Thanks again, Matt, for for those questions. Thanks to Nikki for reading them. Really great stuff. I really enjoyed talking about all that. And and I feel like a lot of this stuff is stuff I haven't talked about in the show for a long time, like going back maybe even to like the first season of the show um, or even back to the GM Intrusions days. So yeah, it's, it's nice to uh, revisit some of these topics. Um, I'm sure some of my answers have probably changed from what they would have been way back then. And uh, of course, a lot of this w- was new. So um, it's really great to uh, talk about this. And, and I had a lot of fun uh, doing the interview with Matt. Um, so again, uh, listener, g- go check out uh, our video on his YouTube channel. I'll, I'll have it in the show notes at LexarWalker.com. So um, we're already going a little long, but I wanted to talk a little bit today about World of Darkness. I already talked about it a little bit, answering some of Matt's questions, but uh, I've been running Numenera for a bit, for a few months uh, with uh, some some players that, that I've play, been playing with for, for a long time now. And uh, I'm getting ready to start writing the first draft of, of my next novel and um, when I'm writing a first draft, I, I really don't have the juice to GM and I don't have the time to prepare for games and things like that. So I told the players, hey, you know, I'm going to have to take a break from from GMing for a while. And we had in, in one of our last sessions, I, I don't even remember how it came up, but we'd started talking about the game Mage. Um, it's another White Wolf game. Uh, like Vampire and Changeling. And some of their other games were Werewolf and Wraith. And I mean, they had some others like Mummy that weren't full game lines. But yeah, anyway, so so Mage was one of those games. They all shared the same system, but then each was its own game. Um, because generally speaking, you know, you didn't have games where you had mages and werewolves and vampires and changelings because 
they they didn't all get along well. I I know you know you could do games like that, and people did do games like that. But but in general, the majority of White Wolf games, you were either playing vampire or you were playing changeling, or you were playing mage, and you weren't mixing them up so much. Um, but they all had the same core system, so you could play them together if you wanted to. The the reasons why that was difficult were all reasons of setting and you know how you would role play these characters. And like I said, they they wouldn't get along well. It, it wasn't a mechanical thing. Like mechanically, you could run them all together. So, you know, I know the system really well because I ran Vampire and Changeling a lot, but I never I never ran Mage. I never played it. Uh, I had the second edition book for it and I read it and I only thought it looked like a cool game. But uh, yeah, I never played it or ran it. So so somehow we got talking about it when we were playing Numenera one night. And uh, one of my players, Craig, who um, if, if you've watched or listened to my actual play, you're you're familiar with Craig. I feel like he's been in, if not every game I've I've run and streamed, he's been in almost every game. I think he may have been in every game. I don't even remember now. It's been so long. Uh, since Craig and I started gaming together, but I would guess that it began with Numenera. He probably, uh, that's probably the first time we played together is he probably played in one of my Numenera games. And then, you know, he was such a great player that anytime I ran anything, I'd always invite him. And uh, <laughs> I, I guess uh, earlier when when I was answering Matt's uh, question about what makes a great player, I, I guess another thing, um, this is almost like... Um, pie in the sky like it's too much to ask for i think to to want this from every player but but another thing that makes a great player is someone who's kind of up for anything and that's always been craig I, I don't think i've ever invited him to a game and he said no and if he did say no it was just like a scheduling thing it wasn't like oh no i don't want to play that game or you know he's i mean he's played uh Ch- changeling he hasn't played Changeling. he's played numenera with me and D um star trek i think star wars i don't know we we've played all kinds of games together he he's he's always down to to try something he hasn't tried bef- before he just likes playing games which which is awesome so yeah we were talking and craig was basically like hey if you guys would want to play a mage i'd be willing to try running it um there's this quote new i don't know how long ago it came out but but i think the newest edition is the 20th anniversary edition and uh he's like you know i could run that for you guys if you want and so yeah we were all we were all down for that so yeah real quick i just want to give a shout out and kudos to craig for being brave enough to run this game because i never was i you know back in the day when i was running changeling and vampire i had the mage book i was really interested in it but I was always too scared to run it. I was I was talking to my wife about it the night that that happened because I was really excited because I'm like, oh my God, I've always wanted to play Mage. And I was in college at the time that, that I had Mage and, and knew about it. And none of the guys I played with in college would run it. Nobody wanted to run it and I didn't want to run it. Um, I was scared. It has a very open-ended magic system that's kind of complicated and i just you know i think now i would be willing to try it if i really wanted to i I think i'd be more inclined to run one of the other games but if i really wanted to run mage i wouldn't be afraid to try it now like i was back then but uh yeah back then i I just 
you know, I couldn't really totally wrap my head around it. And I'm like, how am I going to teach this to the players? And how am I going to arbitrate this, this magic system that I don't even really understand myself? Um, so I never took the plunge and tried to run it. I never even tried to run a, a one shot. So, uh, my hat's off to Craig who, uh, who, who's going to try this. I don't think he's run it before. I don't know for sure, but, uh, even if he has, um, n- nothing but respect for, for anyone, uh, willing to take a stab at running mage. Cause I, I don't think it's an easy game to run, uh, just because of the magic system. So we've done our session zero so far where we, we got together and made our characters and kind of talked about, you know, how each of our characters came to be a mage and, and kind of how we knew each other and, and what we were going to be doing and all this stuff. And yeah, it was interesting because I had forgotten until I started making this character and we got together as a group and did our session zero. Um, I had forgotten how much I love the the White Wolf World of Darkness system. Now I think they're Onyx Path. I don't know. I'm a little confused by they've changed names. I feel like a few times, and they're you know I played and ran second edition of these games, and there have been I think two or three or four editions since then that that I haven't really played. Um, and now this is the 20th anniversary edition. So I got a I got away from these games due to a bad experience uh, I had with Vampire, and and I think I've talked about this before uh, on Lex Out Loud, and I think I talked about it with Matt on his YouTube channel, but I don't know if I've talked about it on this show or not. And since this is my RPG podcast, I, I guess I'll just really briefly give you the uh, the nutshell version because I, I think I talked about it in more detail with Matt, but uh, I, I basically. Um, had a lot of time on my hands and I'd always wanted, um, vampire is a very political game and I am not, I'm not a political GM. Like I don't normally run political games. It's not really my forte. Um, it's not my wheelhouse. It's not usually what I enjoy or or what I'm good at doing, but kind of with vampire, at least my, my feeling was that that was kind of the ultimate, like that's where, vampire really shown was that kind of political game. And I'd always wanted to try doing it. Why well, this, this period in my life where I had a lot of time on my hands, no, nothing to do. And so I decided I, I would come up with this, you know, really political vampire campaign. And I would spend a lot of time developing NPCs and relationships between NPCs and all this stuff. And I spent hours and hours over, I think it was two or three weeks where that's kind of all I did was work on this campaign and I had some players lined up to play it. And then, uh, for some reason, I still don't really know why I had two players that were like for sure. And I, and I was kind of building the campaign around because they'd already made characters. I think I was kind of building it around their characters. And then I had some other people I was going to ask to play when I was ready. Well, if I remember, I is a long time ago now, but, uh, I went to get together with them, uh, for the session zero or the prelude or whatever, and they were just like, yeah, we don't want to play. And uh, they they basically bailed on the campaign, like literally last minute, I was there to run it. And they're like, yeah, we don't want to play. And and also kind of <laughs> dumped me as a friend at the time, which I guess that's a thing that happens. But uh, yeah, I don't really know why. Don't know if they knew why, who knows. But uh, yeah, I was pretty uh, pissed off about that and upset because I'd put so much time into this and now I didn't have any players you know, so all my discussion about, you know, one reason I love GMing is, or sorry, I, I just realized what I was about to say. Uh, I wasn't discussion on this podcast, but uh, 
I think when I was talking with Matt and, and on the Lex Out Loud ver- episode about this, episode 56, I talked about um, one thing I love about writing is that unlike RPGs, you can't get screwed over by players who bail on you. Um, you know, it, whether or not I finish a novel I start is completely based on me and whether I choose to do it or not, you know, where you can come up with a campaign for players and then the players don't show up or, or quit or whatever. And now, you know, you can't play. So I, obviously the solution to this would be just to find other players, but I was really upset about it and didn't want to do that for whatever reason. And I don't even remember anymore, but ultimately I ended up taking all that material that I'd come up with for this campaign. And instead I, I wrote a novel about it and that was my first novel, uh, Dawn of Endless Night. So even though, you know, what the players did was a really shitty thing at the time, I, I guess in a way, um, I can kind of thank them because it, it motivated me to write my first novel and who knows how long it would have taken me to do that otherwise, or if I ever would have done it. So I guess in that sense, I'm thankful that that happened. But uh, yeah, so so that happened. And, and actually, and, and this I think I talked about on Game Master's Journey way in the early days. But after that happened, I just quit running RPGs for, I think it was a few years. I don't remember now how long it was, how many years it was, but it was multiple years that I didn't play, I didn't run. And, uh, you know, when I quit, it was in the D&D 3.5 days. And when I returned to thinking about playing or running an RPG, it was in the fourth edition days, towards the end of the fourth edition days. And that's when I started playing Pathfinder because uh, I read the fourth edition books and, and hated what they'd done to the game. So I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not running this. I'm not playing this. So I, I got into path, Pathfinder for a while. But at that time, I did not go back to Vampire or Changeling just because this experience had kind of turned me off to the White Wolf games, I guess, as well as to RPGs in general. But then even when I got back into RPGs, I just, I didn't go back to Vampire or um, Changeling. And just over the years since then, you know, you just kind of are used to doing what you're used to doing. So I was, you know, I ran a Pathfinder for a while. I ran Star Wars for a while. Um, and then I got into Numenera and I ran that for quite a while. And that was all I was running. And then um, started to get tired of that. And then 5th uh, edition D&D came out. And, and then I've been running that since since then. Um, and now I've, I've gone back and run a little Numenera. I ran some Star Trek, you know, some things here or there, but, uh, for whatever reason, well, part of the reason being I, I sold all my books. Um, I didn't go back to any of the White Wolf games. So it was kind of cool to, you know, get into this mage campaign and yeah, I'd just forgotten how much I love the system and, and how fun these games are. So yeah, I was pretty stoked and, and I'm still pretty stoked to, uh, to play it. You know what? Now that I think about it a minute more, um, I did look into the White Wolf games when I started getting back into things, uh, when I started playing Pathfinder. But what was going on at that time is they had ended the... Because these games, the old World of Darkness, they had this like meta plot where as they put out new supplements for the game, they were advancing their own plot of kind of what was happening a uh, big picture in the world with like the vampires and the werewolves and everything else. And, you know, for instance, vampire, a big part of vampire was there was this, their idea of 
the apocalypse on the horizon that was called Gehenna, which was where the the first vampires that were these ancient like god level vampires that were sleeping, you know, like dragons sleeping away the centuries somewhere, uh, would rise up and kill all the younger vampires, and that would be the end of the world or whatever. At least as far as vampires were concerned. Well, when I got back in the role playing and started looking into, oh, what's going on with vampire? Well, I found out that that they'd had that happen, and that people were very dissatisfied with how that went down. I was frankly dissatisfied that they even did that because White Wolf was always pretty good about, you know, they wouldn't tell you exactly how things were. They would tell you what people thought. You know, they tell you rumors, you know, about, well, this is what people think. You know, these people think this about, for instance, how vampires came to be. And these people think this about how vampires came to be. Like there were some competing theories about how vampires even came to be. And they were like that with everything. Like when it came to the setting, they, they a lot of times wouldn't just give you straight up like, this is how things are. They'd give you a few different versions of how, how people thought things were. And then it was up to the GM to decide which of those were true or if maybe something totally different was true. And because of that, I, I and I think a lot of people who played and ran the games assumed that you know, Gehenna would never be something that, that they published, you know, they would leave that to it, to each GM or storyteller as they tell, call it to decide how that goes down if they wanted that to happen in their campaign. And each of their games had that in werewolf, it was called the apocalypse, you know, in vampire, it was called Gehenna, but every game had this, like, you know, the end time that was going to happen someday. So I was really shocked that they even did it to begin with and then, you know, when I started reading on forums and whatnot, like people's reactions to it, like it seemed to me, at least at the time, that most people uh, were not fans of of how that all went down and they didn't like the way they did it. And then after that, they kind of rebooted all the games. So Vampire the Masquerade became Vampire the Requiem, I think. And Changeling the Dreaming became Changeling the Lost, I think. And so it was really weird because it, it was kind of a reboot of the setting, but yet it was assuming that the things in the the previous games had happened and like somehow the world was ended, but yet the world's still here and we're still doing things. And oh, I guess vampires aren't gone and things like that. But they also changed things mechanically, like how the vampires worked and how the changelings worked. And I read the Vampire of the Rec Room book. I read quite a few of the books and the same with the Changeling of the Lost books. And I really didn't like it. I felt like they they pretty much ruined the game. They'd ruined Vampire, they'd ruined Changeling. And I was like, you know, if I was going to run this, I'd run the old version. I wouldn't run this new one. And so, yeah, I just didn't... I didn't play it. I didn't run it. And then there have been other versions since then, I think. It's kind of confusing unless you really want to figure it out. And, and I just haven't been motivated to do that. But yeah, I just... You know, this is kind of a tangent, but... I, I think it was in the Vampire the Requiem book in like the the preface or whatever. It's talking about how one of the the creators of, of Vampire, I don't remember if it was Mark Reinhagen or if it was someone else, but how one of these guys had like, when they'd first like started coming up with the game in the very beginning years ago, they'd had an idea of some scene about these two vampires in a bar after Gehenna had happened, having this conversation. And... That's just always, ever since I read that has, for me, in my mind, has been an example of, 
you know, writers talk about killing your darlings. Um, I think that comes from Hemingway, that term. But that was always an example for me of what happens when you don't kill a darling that, that should have been murdered with, uh, with uh, extreme prejudice. <laughs> because I'm like, you know, I feel like this whole horrible, like, let's do Gakana and let's do it in this awful way. And then this horrible new Vampire of the Requiem, which I really didn't like, was all based on this idea this guy had years and years ago before he even made the game. And he couldn't let it go. And so he hung on to it and it kind of, at least for me, it kind of ruined everything. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a side note, but, but that's always been an example to me of, of what the consequences of not killing a darling that should be killed w- would be. But I guess that's a better conversation for Lex Out Loud. So yeah, I, I don't fully understand what's going on with 20th edition, <laughs> to be honest. I, I've looked through the Mage book. It's like almost 700 pages long. And I think... What it is, is I think they're trying in one book to give you the old world of darkness, the whatever the vampire requiem and all those other games were new world of darkness, I guess. They're, they're trying to give you old world of darkness and new world of darkness, plus some other versions, I guess they came up with like all in one book, as well as the kind of the bad guys in mage are the technocracy, which are a kind of a different kind of mage. And it seems like they have all that stuff in there because they, I think they did a, a technocracy game where you could play a technocracy mage, but it was its own game. Um, so they have all this stuff in one book. And uh, for someone like me who's just casually flipping through it, trying to make a character, and I'm not going to sit and read the thing cover to cover, it's a little confusing. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. But uh, it, it seems like it's giving the GM the tools to kind of, you know, they can recreate either one of these games if they want or do their own thing. Old World of Darkness was like 90s and it was very 90s, like very, you know, angsty, teenage angst, you know, goth, all that stuff. It, it was very steeped in its time to the point that it seems a little weird now reading it. But uh, Craig has, you know, we're in the, the modern day, so we're in 2022. We're not in 1990 something. But I'm not really sure like if it's just going to be like our world today or if it's going to be like the Old World of Darkness or some kind of fusion of the two. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where he's going with it. So it'll be interesting to see. But uh, yeah, it's really fun to, uh, to get back into to playing these games. And, you know, these, it's another game that I didn't play it all that much. I played some vampire here and there. Um, but again, I, I ran far more of it than I played. And I never played any of the other games. Um, I, vampire was the only one I played as a player. But yeah, it seems like so far there's been some minor changes to the system compared with what I'm used to from second edition, but uh, not as much as there was in like Vampire the Requiem. It was like very different. Um, so they kind of went back to the old system with, with a few tweaks here and there, but they seem really minor. And they also seem like the kind of things you could easily just house rule back to the second edition way if you wanted and it wouldn't matter. They're pretty minor changes and there's not a lot of them. So it's kind of nice because I already kind of know the system like the back of my hand. I, I feel like I know that system better than any other that I've ever run. So yeah, you know, if Craig's listening, thanks man for for agreeing to run this. Um, <laughs> let me know if there's any way I can make it easier for you because man, we, we haven't actually played yet. We haven't had, had people try to throw spells yet, but man, I'm really curious to see how that goes down because... You know, I'm just trying to focus on the magic my character can do. And even that, I'm not, I'm not totally straight on what I can and can't do. And, you know, it, it's a very open-ended 
magic system, you know, it's not like D&D where you have discrete spells and you can do what the spell says and that's all you can do. Um, it's more like they give you some very, very broad guidelines on what you can do. And it's more up to the GM, really, what you can do. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting. But uh, I, I have nothing but respect and admiration for for Craig for taking it on. So, yeah, if we can help you as players, man, let me know <laughs> what I can do. And, yeah, hopefully, you know, we'll all learn the system and, and maybe I'll finally... Uh, wrap my head around it, which is, which is really, I mean, beyond just being able to play mage, which I think will be a lot of fun. I'm really glad that Craig is doing this because I've always been really curious about the system and and I've never seen it. You know, I've never seen it run. I've never played a game or run a game. I've never seen it in action. And uh, I think, I think it can be really cool. I mean, it's a really cool concept and, and you know, the fact that it is so open-ended, I mean, there are limits. You can't just do whatever you want. But I, I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing how it works. And, and I'm sure we'll, in some ways, be figuring it out together as a group. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing it in action because it's something I've been curious about for literally a couple decades, I think. So, so yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I'll, I'll definitely have to uh, keep you posted on, on how that campaign goes. And uh, I think I'm going to try to get have Craig on the show because I don't think I've ever had him on any of my shows before, which is unreal as, as long as we've been playing together. But now that he's running a game for that I'm in, um, it seems like the perfect opportunity to to have him on and and talk about whatever he wants to talk about as as a GM. So uh, may, maybe we'll wait until we're in the campaign a bit, a bit and we have some stuff we can talk about. But uh, I haven't actually. I don't think I've played that much under Craig as a GM. I, I know recently we did a one shot. I can't remember. Was it Blades in the Dark? Something like that. Uh, we did like a little one shot that he ran, and that was a lot of fun. And I feel like maybe I played some Numenera with him that he ran, but it's been so long I really don't remember. But I I don't think I've had him GM for me a whole lot. So. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And and I know, you know, he has his own approach, I'm sure as a GM, but I know that he would probably agree with a lot of what I said today as far as, you know, philosophy and all that. I think he's, he's a pretty comfortable improvising as a GM. At least that's the kind of the feeling I've gotten. Um, I don't think he's one to be tied to a script. I think he's willing to just kind of go with it, which is always a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, he'll be on on a future episode and, and he can share his thoughts with us on uh, what it takes to be a, a good GM and, and how uh, you can help everyone have more fun at the table. But man, I know we, we just did our session zero earlier this week and my God, it was a blast. And we didn't even, I mean, we were just talking about our characters and stuff. But um, also shout out to the players um, Rose and Russell and Brett. Brett, I've played with a lot. Um, he's been in my actual plays. Um, so you'll recognize him if you watch or listen to those. Uh, Russell played uh, Star Trek with us. Um, I've never played uh, with Rose before. I just met her. But man, shout out to, to all of them. They they all really brought it with their characters. They They had like really developed concepts and really cool characters. It's funny, like looking at my character and then kind of drawing lines between my character and the other characters. I feel like pretty much every character I have, there's something that my character and their character has in common. And there's also something 
that we have maybe different views on. So there's definitely the potential for us to work together well, but there's also the potential to have some interesting debates or, or differences of opinion or outlooks on things. And um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun because uh, these games are all about the role playing and the story and less about, you know, combat and, you know, moving pieces on a war board and things like that. So that's what these games are really about is, you know, the depth of your characters and, and how they work well together. And maybe in some ways they don't work well together. And uh, mage especially is, you know, everybody kind of has a, they call it your paradigm. You know, everybody has their own idea on how magic works. And that's part of how you do your magic. And already I can see that all of our characters have very different paradigms. So that'll be interesting just seeing the, the different approaches we take to magic and yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. So uh, I'm sure you'll hear more about it in future episodes. Well, that's going to wrap it up for me today. Sorry, this went a, a little long, but uh, it's been a while since the last episode came out. So uh, hopefully, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned on this show, but I just moved. So that was part of why I haven't, released an episode in a while and I've been working on Lex Out Loud and my novels and, and stuff like that. But uh, I think now that, you know, we're going to be playing Mage, hopefully I'll have some more stuff to talk about on the show. And now that the move is over, um, hopefully I'll have more time to make more episodes. But uh, yeah, if you have anything uh, you'd like to add to the conversation today, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker, and you can call my voicemail 951-465-5391. Also, please join our community on Discord. You can find a link to that in the show notes at lexstarwalker.com slash GMJ for Game Master's Journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, yeah, I really hope I, I hear from you. If you have any uh, comments about today's episodes or any ideas for future topics or, or questions you'd, you'd like to hear addressed on the show, I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email or even better, join us in our Discord. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun in there. And there's uh, different rooms where you can discuss all kinds of different things from gaming and game mastering to video games to books, movies, um, just general stuff you want to talk about, come join us in the Discord. Uh, love to have uh, some new faces in there. So I hope that you have a chance to play your favorite RPG this week. I hope you have a chance to run your favorite RPG. I'll be back soon with another episode of Game Master's Journey. Until then, game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production, your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. This episode's music, courtesy of Cloudwalker, Transboy, Renfield, Stanko, and Ish. See the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey.